Welcome to The Dental Brief, the world's direct, right-to-the-point podcast produced to get you the information you need to learn and grow your practice. To learn more about our guests and find links to information discussed on our show, visit our website, dentalbrief.com. On to today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Dental Brief. Today, we have with us a very special guest, Dr. Susan Ebert. Say hello. Hi, Patrick. It's nice to be here. Thrilled for the opportunity. Yeah. And I think I said Susan. It's actually Suzanne, correct? It is Suzanne, but I answer to almost anything. So not a uh, problem. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that very much. We want to make sure that I get your name correctly. So um, I know that you're with ADA Practice Transitions. Um, we're going to kind of talk about how you got here in a minute. Tell me, how did you start? How did you get involved in dentistry in the first place? Well, let's see. I had two small children. I knew I wanted to be a hands-on mom. Also knew I really wanted to be a part of the healthcare community. So guess what? Dentistry was a perfect fit for me. I graduated from dental school and started my career as a solo practitioner. Awesome. So how long did you practice for? I practiced up until three years ago, which, oh, I guess that put me at about 23 years of clinical dentistry. Okay. So you've been around the block. Been around the block a couple times. <laughs> so you you understand um, clearly with your experience and what you do now. You understand a lot of the challenges and problems that dentists are going through. So what are some challenges and problems that you see that dentists are facing maybe now that they hadn't in the past? Well, there's a lot, of course, that's happened over the last couple of years, as we all know. Uh, dentistry being shut down for three months, not being considered an essential uh, workforce was horrific as far as I was concerned for the profession. I was so glad when we were finally termed uh, essential workers. That was really important to me. Uh, What I'm also seeing is that we've got a lot of docs who have been kind of laid off and they're looking at making some changes in their lives. Either they're looking to move out of urban centers, maybe more to suburbia. And then, you know what? I see them moving beyond suburbia and potentially out into more rural areas where they can actually get a great practice and a bigger house, more land for lower cost of living. So I see that I think in over the next two years, we're going to see a little bit of a migration out of those urban centers and even out of suburbia into some of the more rural areas where guess what? There are great practices that really need dentists desperately. Sure. So, you know, I'm, I'm here in, I'm, we're in Denver. Um, Denver is a, as a, one of those areas that uh, is considered saturated with dentists. Um, I think that's a pretty common thing that you hear people say. I think there's a lot of cities that are like that. I think a lot of those cities either have major dental schools there or they're lifestyle cities, right? People live there because of the lifestyle that city offers. And so they're attracted to those areas. So it does make sense that there'd be um, more saturation. But when that happens, I think the more saturated areas also have a much higher cost of living, um, like you mentioned before. So tell me in your experience, um, what does this mean? How does this change um, transitions? How does this change practices and the values of practices in those rural areas? Does that mean that they're going up or does it just mean that they'll potentially be selling quicker? Well, you know, the funny thing about the rural practitioners, most of them that I work with, and I've got over 500 docs that, I'm, that we're currently working with as owners, And the ones in the more rural areas are really just looking for the right person to take over their practice because they've built these practices generally from scratch or they've taken them over from a family member. And 
this isn't across the board, but what I'm seeing is that they just want the right person and they're less concerned about getting top dollar for their practices. Now, I read that as they've done a really good job of managing their money and they just want somebody to take it over. They don't really care so much about using that as their retirement fund. So good for them. It also shows that, hey, real practices, it may be the way to go. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. And I've actually seen and work with some dentists who have bought in the rural areas purposely. They wanted that lifestyle, right? So that's that's where they went. And it certainly made things um, a lot easier for them. So tell me, some for some people that are concerned about being in these rural areas where they're thinking, hey, you know, it's too risky, right? And I think sometimes when we talked about those saturated areas, I think there's a little bit of monkey see, monkey do that happens. Um, and where people pick practices, they go, oh, well, you know, this is a great place because there's all these practices. And or, you know, there, there's kind of that that um, social aspect to it where they're like, oh, all my friends have done startups here. All my friends bought practices here. and They're doing great. So I might as well go there. What are some of the fears and maybe even irrational fears that people have about looking at and buying uh, practices in urban areas? I'm sorry, in rural areas. <laughs> I think one of the biggest fears that I hear about all the time is, what am I going to do? I'm going to be isolated. I'm not going to have anybody to talk to. Um, My quality of life is going to be very limited. Um, The reality doesn't really match that. And there are things that you can do to alleviate all of those things. Number one, I really do think that as the population tends to migrate out of the cities right now, like I said, they're going to suburbia, but housing prices. I don't know how they are in Denver, but I know how they are where I am. And they have skyrocketed. You can't get a reasonably sized home, you know, certainly for what I bought mine for. Uh, So, you know, people are going to start migrating out. They're going to continue to move out until they, so that they, they can get the, you know, house size that they want. And as the population migrates back to more rural areas, there's going to be more to do. Um, Also, this is one of (laughs) We had a story about a doc that I just loved. This doctor went intentionally practiced in a rural area, worked three days a week, making as much money as his urban counterpart. And he said, you know what? I love my town. I'm very involved in everything that goes on here. I'm on the city council. I'm busy enough. But guess what? If I want to go to a play in a city, I bought a plane. Right. So right. my advice is make the money and buy a plane. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And and two, you know, some of these more rural areas, they're more connected than ever before. Right. They're they're it's it's not as far as way as people thought. And here, here's something that I'll tell you. What where do you live, Dr. Ebert? Uh right now I'm in uh, just outside of Jacksonville, Florida. Okay. So you get Florida. I get Florida traffic. It's, it's pretty bad. Their traffic in Denver has gone through the roof. There's some cities. It's just horrible. And you can literally go eight miles. I can go an hour east faster than I can go eight miles south right, from where I live. And that's pretty common, I think, in some of these rural areas. Sure, they're 90 miles away from a downtown area, right? So in other words, maybe 90 miles away from Jacksonville or 90 miles away from downtown Denver. But it's only a hour and 30 minute drive. It's not a, you know, it's not a, an hour and 15 minute, 10 mile drive that we see more and more. So it, it, 
It certainly makes sense to me. So let's talk about, let's focus in on um, buyers. So let's focus in on people that are looking for practices. They're either looking for to associate first or looking to purchase right away. Let's, let's help our audience get prepared. What, what should, if you think you're going to buy in a couple of years, when should you reach out to someone um, to help you? First thing you do is you go to the bank and you go to one of the big ones that has a dental lending department and preferably go to three different ones and you have a conversation. Find out where your finances are right now. Know your credit score. Don't be terrified because you have student debt because guess what? You can purchase a practice a year out of school. Sure. I have a young lady who just purchased a million dollar practice and she's, oh gosh, 14 months out of graduating because she paid attention. So figure out where your finances are, learn how to budget your money, and then take a really good hard look at yourself and understand what you want from your ideal practice. Because when you go into that practice, you know that the patient's are the biggest asset you have. I don't care if the practice has a CBCT. I don't care if it has 3D printing. I don't care what it has. If it has no patience, it has no value. So I would say figure out what kind of practice you want to join. How do you want to practice? Do you want to have a very relationship-based practice with three operatories? Or do you want to have a huge, busy, volume-based practice that's got nine operatories and five hygienists? Know yourself. Know what you're comfortable with. Figure out what energizes you at the end of the day, because this profession is really hard on your body and on your mind. And you need to be happy when you walk out that door. And you need to be really happy when you walk in that door. Sure. So I got one last question for you, and it's a tough one. And I know that you've been involved in transitions from time. You've been a dentist, so you've known dentists for 20 plus years. What's the number, what's the biggest mistake you see people make when they buy a practice? Um, Going in and trying to change everything immediately off the bat. It's yeah. a recipe for disaster. Again, yeah. if there's not continuity of the patient experience, you don't have to do dentistry just like the, the person before you. That's not necessary. But if you confuse your patients and your staff, you are going to be fighting an uphill battle because guess what? The patients are going to walk. The staff's going to be confused. They're going to unwittingly potentially sabotage the sale. Uh, why would you do that to yourself? The best thing that we had a doctor do just recently, in fact, um, she bought the practice. She lived in the space for the last year, kind of as it was. She made a couple of minor changes, you know, just some cosmetic things, you know, a little paint on the walls. But she didn't do anything major. She wanted to get to know the practice. She wanted to get to know the patients. Now that she's been there for a little over a year, she's having a great time. She loves the practice. She realized that she didn't need to go in and update everything. But guess what she's doing? Now she's instituting the updates that she wants to, and she's doing them gradually so that she doesn't alienate the patients or the staff or the community. 
Sure. That makes a lot of sense. So I know I said before, one last question. That was a lie. I have one <laughs> last question. So Dr. Ebert, if somebody's looking for help, whether they're buying a practice or selling a practice or any stage of the, you know, the dental transition um, dynamic, how do they, how do you go about, what's your advice on vetting and finding a trusted expert to uh, help them? Well, my first piece of advice is take ownership of the process. Let us help you. Let us at ADA Practice Transitions help you to find the right person. Because guess what? As I keep going back to, when you find the right person, when you're connected with that other dentist, either as a buyer or a seller, it's going to be a recipe for success. Everything else falls into place very nicely when you feel comfortable, you feel confident, and you take ownership of the process. Don't abdicate it. This is too important for you. It's too important for the buyer, even as a seller who's walking away. If you are planning on staying in that community, do you really want to run into patients at the grocery store and have them say things like, why did you sell to that person? Please give me the name of somebody else to go to. Sure. Nobody wants to do that. It's a horrible, horrible, horrible feeling. And yeah. it's something that nobody should have to experience. This is your baby. Take ownership of the process and let ADA practice transitions help you because we really do want you to be successful. That makes a lot of sense. Dr. Ebert, thank you so much for being here. I want to tell our audience, uh, check out the website. It's um, adapracticetransitions.com. Dr. Ebert, thank you for being here. I want to encourage our audience to reach out to you. Um, come on again soon. Thank you, Patrick. I would love to. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. Did you know you can weigh in on today's topic on Facebook? Search The Dental Brief on Facebook or visit our website, dentalbrief.com, and just follow the link. We look forward to having you join us again on another episode of The Dental Brief.